This episode contains descriptions of violence and sexual assault. Discretion is advised. This is the cul-de-sac insomniac, and I'm Ophelia. And I'm Tori, and we're going to keep you up all night. Hey, Ophelia. How's it going? It's good. How are you? It, I'm going. I'm doing all right. I'm ready to get spooky. How about you? Oh, I'm definitely ready to get spooky. Did anything creepy happen to you this week? Uh, well, nothing paranormal happened to me this week, but um, your grandfather. Uh, so my husband had gone out and Liv had gone out and John was upstairs and I was just hanging out on the like the back stairs. So you'd have to walk by me basically on the steps to get out. To the yard because mm-hmm. I had the dogs out in the yard and um so Papa says oh, I'm going to the store and he goes out the garage okay so so what we're not going to do is when we say we're going to the store and <laughs> I think I'm in the yard all by myself right we're not going to slip back in through the back gate that I can't see from my vantage point and walk and so when i'm looking on my phone i take my glass i put my glasses on the top of my head because i'm nearsighted so i i can't see see but i can kind of see right (laughs) so he comes in and he doesn't make any noise i don't know how that happened classic silent papa yep and i just kind of see all of my dogs turn and look in you know at one and i look and i see just this kind of gray figure go around the shed door into the shed. So I'm like, great, someone's in my shed and I got to go check it out. Slash a ghost is in your shed. And so the bottom line is we just scared the bejesus out of each other because he didn't realize I was coming over and I didn't realize he was there. And I was like, I thought you were going to the store. And then he just decided to not like fold up some chairs and like, and it's always like neatening. <laughs> so like before he had to go to the store, I was like, Oh my God! So nothing, um, nothing paranormal happened to me. However, I think you've seen this. Um, did did you go on our Facebook page? Because I put up a video on our Facebook page, and it's not, it's it's not someone I know. It's someone in another like paranormal group I'm in, who and she was at her friend's house, and they started renovations, and they started having all these issues activity in the house and they have security cameras these weren't even cameras they put up to catch anything it's just their regular like their whatever system i think we have the nest system here so whatever their ring nest whatever system and have you seen that video yeah i was i hated it it was so creepy so it like you were saying it it um we were we were talking about how it looks like a gif well, yeah, because it just looks like one little short clip of a like some kind of shadow walking by that, you know, loops. But it's not. It's the shadow looping through all the time. The, the video is just playing continuously and it gets it makes like this little tick, tick, tick sound right before the shadow is about to appear. And if you look really closely, you see one's kind of clear and then you see kind of like a dark shadow 
kind of trailing on the wall behind it. I did see that. It's super creepy. And I love it slash also hate it. Yeah, I'm on board. I also love it slash hate it. Yeah, if you haven't gone to our Facebook page, Cul de Sac Insomnia Facebook page, go there and check out this video. It is... Uh, uh, and now, now, so we have the camera system, and Papa's like, oh, I've got to get you hooked up so you can watch the footage of the camera through your phone. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. That's, I'm, I'm you know. Yeah, I'm all set on looping shadows, actually. I don't... Plus, I also kind of think watching back the footage of us just... This is the thing about security cameras. They kind of freak me out. Just watching the footage back, even though it's just like us doing our everyday stuff. I even think that's kind of weird. Oh, yeah, me too. I struggle to listen to our podcasts that we make on purpose. So I thought I was walking in my sleep one time. Well, that runs in our family. Yeah, it does. So anyway, I had when I had an apartment and I had the I had the two cats before we got dogs. So I had cats when I had my apartment and they used to always trying to go in and out of the bedroom door. And if I didn't leave them out with their food and stuff, they would just bust it open and come in. If I can't brought them in and didn't let them out, they would cry all night. So, and I didn't want the door just open because they would just come and go all night. So I left them out with their beds and food and everything in the rest of the apartment. And I have this metal um, like magazine rack I still have. And I would put it with books and magazines in front of my door so they couldn't get in the door at night. So one night I woke up and all this stuff in my room was rearranged and like rearranged in the and I had bruises on my legs. So I thought... I must have got up, but the door was closed, the window was locked, the apartment was closed, and the door, so nothing was amiss, but things were just put in, like, and before I had kids and a family, if you remember my apartment, I used to have everything in its place. Like Yes, I do remember. I just gave up on that when I had a family. <laughs> that went away. Well, they gave up on it for you, so. They gave up for me, putting things back, but I used to have everything was in its place. So things were just put, and something would be put on top of something. I had like a book was put on top of like a um, lamp and it was just weird stuff. So I felt like I must have walked in my sleep because I had bruises on my knees. So I felt like I got up and was probably just crashing into stuff and moving it because, you know. I mean, I bash into my bed with my legs anyway when I'm awake. So somebody said, well, you should put like a camera in there and record yourself to see if that's what's happening. And I said, you know what? That would freak me out more than the thing that whatever happened. Yeah, watching yourself go around your room doing things you don't remember doing. And and also, what if that isn't what happened? <laughs> oh. I'm not I'm not considering that possibility. Personally. <laughs> what if just some dark shadow came in and just starts rearranging my room while I'm sleeping in the bed? No, 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 no. I said I. Just, but after that, I just opened the door and started letting the cat sleep and stay in the room with me. <laughs> Ward off whatever that was. So. Oh, yeah. Anyway, everything weird happens to me. I, I think it's me. I must be. I'm weird. I mean, not going to say yes or no, but. It's not not you. Right. We had to push off recording a whole week because none of your technology would work. Because of my supernatural <laughs> technology randomly started. Yeah, we had. um. We had so many technical issues we couldn't we couldn't even do the podcast last week. No. We're like a whole we week. We spent we spent the same amount of time that we usually spend recording an episode just trying to get Ophelia's technology to function enough so we could begin recording an episode. And then we just ran out of time. We couldn't. We're like, oh well, the day is over now. Yeah. And luckily we have a backlog of episodes, so it, it didn't 
set us back at all, but here we are. All right, so are we ready to get spooky? Ooh, I think so. I'm excited to hear your story this week. Well, my story is, there's a lot to it. There is a lot to this story. This is, this is about a place called the Bridgewater Triangle. So the Bridgewater Triangle is a 200 square mile area in southeastern Massachusetts, which is claimed to be the site of alleged paranormal phenomena. And when I'm talking paranormal phenomena, it's like they have everything. Really? There's been, oh yeah, UFOs. This is just a grab bag? Yeah, just you can just go in there and get paranormally phenomenaed by all sorts of things, all kinds of... They've got, um, they've had UFO sightings, poltergeist, orbs, balls of fire, Bigfoot, giant snakes, spectral phenomena, thunderbirds, and also giant, um, they say they're like giant wild dogs. I don't know. They don't call them wolves, but they're like huge. This huge dog has been seen and it has glowing red eyes. So a hellhound. And it's a huge, it's it's a pretty big area. So it it encompasses in whole or in part the towns of Abington, Rehoboth, and Freetown at the points of the triangle. And then Brockton, Whitman, West Bridgewater, East Bridgewater, Bridgewater, Middleborough, Dighton, Berkeley, Raynham, Norton, Easton, Lakeville, Seacock, and Taunton. Do you know how big that area is? I do. I do know how big that area is. That's massive. So most of the activity centers around the 16,950-acre Hockamock Swamp. And the reason some people think that place is so haunted is because the land they believe was cursed by King Philip, also known as Chief Medicom, when he lost um, King Philip's war against the English colonists in 1676. So... He and his warriors used to hide in that area from the, from the colonists and the English army. The word Hockamock derives from the Algonquin word, which means place where spirits dwell. So this is not new. They're like, bro, we told you. We told you that this is what this is about. Well, that's why they used to hide there, because that, I guess, was the spirits of their ancestors. And so the curse was on, you know, us, basically. <laughs> For, you know, land stealing and killing and all that. Sounds perhaps like it was deserving. I'm, I'm quite honestly shocked that every square inch of the nation isn't cursed, but there we go. Maybe it is. Right. Archaeologists have found at least a thousand ancient graves that date back 8,000 years in the swamp. A thousand graves that date back 8,000 years? Yep. Oh my God. They've got the Hockamock Swamp. There is also... Um, a place called Dighton Rock. Mm -hmm. There's the Freetown Fall River State Forest falls within this area. I've been there. And there's been, I guess there's a lot of cult activity there, like animal sacrifice and ritualistic murders committed by Satanists. And also a number of gangland murders and quite a few suicides. So I wouldn't, I mean, I guess people go hiking and camping in there. I would say maybe not but i would say generally stay out of nature because yeah i've been i've been hiking in the freetown forest um before but during the day and for like half an hour because i'm not good at hiking was, was that the last time you you hiked in the freetown forest sure was 
Never again. This profile rock, which is supposedly... That's where I was. ...the site of where Wampanoag historical figure Anawan received the lost wampum belt from Philip. So I guess this is what it all has to do, that Philip had given this wampum belt, which was very important to the tribe, very sacred. Metacom had given it to Anawan at some point for safekeeping. And somehow in the war and everything, I think I don't know if he was killed, but a lot of them were killed. And somehow they lost this belt, which was very sacred to the Wampanoag people. Legend has it the ghost of a man can be seen sitting on the rock with his legs crossed, sometimes without stretched arms and, and sometimes not. Um, and I guess he's waiting for his belt back. So uh, I've heard that the profile on profile rock has fallen off. I, I was checking into that. I'm not 100% sure. I know the old man in the mountain in New Hampshire that that's fallen off. Yeah. I've also heard that the profile fell. Yeah. It was there when you went, right? Yeah. And I was there probably five or six years ago. So sometime. There's also something called Solitude Stone, which was found when they, they found a missing person's body. And it's also known as the Suicide Stone. But the rock was found with an inscription, and this is, you know, I don't know, maybe 40 years ago or so, because so all this time they didn't know that we're here. And it says, all ye who in future days walk by Nuncatesset's stream, love not him who honed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed. So the area is known for this reported, all this phenomenon. They've seen Bigfoot and so the they've seen something called a Thunderbird which are these giant pterodactyl like flying creatures with like 12 foot wingspans which have been seen in the Hockamock Swamp and to the point and they've been seen in Taunton as well to the point that like a Norton police sergeant named Thomas Downey once filed a report on it I think this might have been back in the 70s there's been anim animal mutilations is another thing that they found even like in the 1990s. But what they think that is, they think that that is the work of cults that operate in that area. This young girl, a 15 year old girl named Mary Lou Aruda, and I put the link, I'm gonna have the links to where I got all this information and the link to her case. And um, she was a 15-year-old girl, and she she was riding her bike. I don't, she was from Norton, or she was from down in that area. And she got kidnapped, and her kidnap raped her, brought her into this area, in the Hockamock, in that area, and tied her from head to toe to a tree and just left her there. But he tied her in such a way that as her head went down, like she would fall asleep, it would asphyxiate her. And she, and she was alive when he tied her there. And she, by the time they found her, she'd been dead for a couple of months because I think she went missing like September. They found her in November. And they did, they were able to, to find him and he did, you know, get, go to jail for life. But so all the details of that case, you can look up. I'm going to put, the, I put the link to that. Um, you can go to jeffbelanger.com and he has videos about it. it and, and there's, a ring of people who, you know, kind of live around it and near it and people go out. So one of the guys who saw the big dog, his dogs had gone out, you know, in his backyard and a little bit into the woods and he was out with them. And this 
huge dog with the red eyes came up and his dogs were like terrified of this thing and he got them and he got in the house and he said this wasn't a regular dog like this was some and people have been out there camping and are even people in the yards look up and like they see like bigfoot walking around like near the edge of the woods can you imagine you're just having your regular family camping whatever and you're like oh um i think that's that there over there is bigfoot so i guess we're just gonna pack it up the other thing that has been seen there, so I'm going to read a little bit about puckwudgies. So puckwudgies have been seen. They are about, they're, so, they're like a two foot high. Some people say they're demons. Some people describe them like gnomes, like the, the Native American version of a gnome. Or some people say they're demons. But you know how like the fae or fairies, mm -hmm. they have that kind of reputation. Some say that, well, they're mischievous but they're not harmless. And some say, no, they're very dangerous. Right, yeah. So there's there's different legends about, you know, the fae and um, fairies. And, and so it sounds like kind of like that kind of thing. And actually their description is similar to other mythological creatures from other cultures in other time frames, which I think is pretty interesting. So they would just kind of torment the local natives and they eventually, um, like settlers started having issues, uh, dealings with them, interactions with them. And even in modern times now, people in this Bridgewater Triangle area, people have claimed to have come across these puck wedgies. Um, one man, and I don't have the names of them because it's all in the documentary, so I, I forgot to make my notes. So if you watch the documentary, it's on Amazon Prime, you'll see all this. But he had came out and he was just going for a walk in the woods. Um, also with his dog and this the um, this little like two foot creature came out and he's describing him with like this kind of spiked hair and he had hair all over him a little bit and he's putting out his hand and he's you know speaking and he was saying like um, uh, what was he you uh, you witchy or you witchy and he thought he was trying to say you with me he was like trying to get it get gesture him to come with him which I would not do because so. Pro tip, if a member of the Fae or a gnome or a any kind of mythological creature tries to get you to come with them, you go the other way. I mean, this is even like a true crime rule, like never go to the second location. You know what I mean? I don't care. Don't go to the second location. Don't go to the second location. Human, non-human, whatever, don't go to the second location. It's not going to work out for you. Right. I don't care. Puckwudgie or just a creepy dude with a mustache, don't go to the second location. Because if you go to the second location, your odds of getting back to the first location, not real good. Oh, UFOs. There were, um, so this is also in it. There's these two reporters who were from WHDH who were out there they were camping. They had just gone camping and they saw this, these lights rise up like out of this like, like water area, come up over the treetops. And I don't know if I ever told you, I know that I've told you this story, but I don't think I've ever told it on the podcast. Ooh. So they saw this UFO come up over like this little kind of lake area. Mm. And... Steve Sprasia is one of the reporter's names. He's the one telling the story. 
So he was on WHDH for years, and he never believed any of it. He heard stories from people that he knew who'd gone camping. They had all these stories, and he thought it's swamp gas or they're imagining things. And he said, I still don't know what it was, if there were some kind of gases, but he says, the person I was with saw it. You know, we had this, if, if we hallucinated, we had the same hallucination. Right, yeah. So this thing was sort of shaped like home plate and had lights on the side. And when I saw the drawing of it, it reminded me of a of craft that we saw, because again, everything happens to me. I haven't seen Bigfoot though, or black eyed kids, but I've seen a lot of other stuff. But you're, your dad, your two uncles and myself, and our parents, everybody, we were at a football, we were at a football practice, a Pop Warner practice, and a craft that kind of looked like that floated out from the trees and over the field. Now, they said that the one they saw was the size of two football fields. The one we saw didn't look that big, but it, it might have been almost half the size of the football field. It was pretty big, but it wasn't as big as two football fields. And it just hovered there with no noise, and that's what they said about theirs, and had the lights on the side. And this was in the 70s. We saw ours in the 70s. And then it just kind of, like, banked a left and took off quickly, and that's what happened in ours. And it didn't make sound. And in our case, the police were trying to follow it. There was a helicopter trying to get near it, and we could hear on the loudspeaker that they were saying to identify yourself. Oh, my God. There were so many calls to the police station that night that it put the phone lines down. Because back in the day, with the landlines of too, right, too many people yeah. called, the line went down. So the this Steve Sprazier was saying in the documentary that they found out later that thousands of people all over the state had seen this and the reports had come in all over different towns. And I am wondering, Tori, was that the same craft? Right, or was it some kind of related thing? Yeah, because there were 10,000 reports of that craft in the towns around us. Wilmington, um, North Reading, Andover, Tewksbury, Billerica, all kinds of people saw this at different places. And I'm wondering if that was somehow related. Yeah. Yeah, I talked to my dad about that, and I think he said he thinks it was probably around 1976. Yeah, I think it was a little bit. I was thinking I was younger, but I think that um, it must have been because by the time they were old enough to play football, it was in that age group. So I must have been more like 10 or 11. And also, Uncle, you know, my youngest brother remembers it, and he's three years younger. So if I were seven years old, he probably wouldn't have remembered it. So he would have been like probably seven. Yeah, so in the... so. There, people have reported seeing zombies. What? No. Yeah. No. I don't want that. Zombies are dumb. And um, so this isn't the only triangle in the world. So there's Bermuda. Yeah, there's one in New Hampshire. Bridgewater. There's one in Vermont. There's And anyway, there's several all over the world that are just like these triangles of like this just dark, dark energy and there's a lot of suicides there and you wonder do people go in there to commit suicide because of its reputation or is there something that pulls them in that direction when they're there and they find a lot of satanic graffiti and upside down crosses and pentagrams see that sounds more like that kind of stuff i think that like real satanists aren't usually all about like the murder and stuff so that almost sounds like graffiti is more kids pretending they they were actually 
ritualistic animal sacrifices, but that almost seems like like dark witchcraft or something. I, yeah, I don't know enough about that, but I don't really want to. Uh, yeah, no. So, oh, 1978, Mary Lou Arruda, she was from Raynham, and she was kidnapped in 1978 in September, and she was found in November sometime. You know, so I'm, I'm sure when you go in there, because now it has this reputation, people are going and they're looking for something to happen, and they think everything that happened is paranormal. But some of these things, like if you see a craft rise up out of a swamp that's the size of two football fields, I think that's going to catch your attention. That's not a twig breaking. You're like, Bigfoot? Is it Bigfoot? Bigfoot, are you here? That uh, I don't think there's any amount of like priming about this forest that's going to force you to see a ginormous UFO rise out of the swamp. So the first UFO sighting in the Bridgewater Triangle took place on May 10th, 1760 at 10 o'clock in the morning. 1760? Yep. Oh my god. That a sphere sphere of fire, well that's hard to say, was Ooh. observed over New England and it was it emitted light bright enough to cast a shadow in bright sunlight. The sound made by the object, oddly enough, was heard sooner at the middle of the course it took than at the beginning. In Ma- so I guess it was seen. Um, it came. It, it was seen. It was over the Hockamock Swamp, I guess. And the light was seen in Bridgewater and as far away as Roxbury. And then, this a similar thing happened on Halloween night in 1908. And this was. Um, it's two undertakers were driving a carriage from West Bridgewater to the center of Bridgewater. See, you don't want to be driving a carriage. I guess maybe you don't want to be in a car either, because what if something electrical happens? At least in a carriage, you can... But, I mean, it takes a long time to travel by carriage, and if you're trying to get through a haunted forest... Oh, no. Giddy up. Seriously. So they were going from West Bridgewater to the center of Bridgewater, Shortly after 3 a.m., which seems like a terrible time to be traveling in a carriage through a haunted forest, but... Yeah, especially if you're an undertaker. Sometimes I feel like you're kind of asking for it. I mean, just... (laughs) You're kind of putting a lot of things together. Right. You You perhaps are calling some strange energies in your direction. They saw what they described as an unusually strong lantern about two and a half feet in diameter, illuminating a large object resembling a balloon bag. They watched it for 40 minutes. That's a long time. Oh my God, like. It was seen to hover at times and then keep a straight, steady course. Other witnesses also saw it. And according to the newspaper, all of the balloons in which ascensions were made, so I guess they had hot air balloons in the state, were accounted for, and none of them were in that area. Now, I always think you never know if someone's experimenting with something on their own, because people do that, but apparently the way it moved, it moved in a way that a hot air balloon can't move. Yeah, they're not they're not doing any, like, you know, quick turn maneuvers. It, it, it can't do, like, it was moving, like, in a perpendicular direction, and then... You know, it was kind of, and it was going up and down at the, it wasn't, like they were saying the way a hot air balloon, it, this was making moves, maneuvers a hot air balloon couldn't. Two UFOs were seen landing, I just made this connection in my mind, I just made the connection when you were saying, you said that it was 1976 and it was football season. Wow. So it was sometime in the fall. 
Two huge UFOs were seen landing near Route 44 in Taunton in December 1976. I just put that together when you said 70. Right. And there's been a lot of sightings in the 60s. And, oh, so, so the guys from WHDH saw that object, the home, the baseball diamond-looking one, at the junction of Routes 24 and 106 in Taunton uh, on March 23, 1979. In January 1991, a green flying disc was seen in Bridgewater moving slowly and silently at an altitude of about 50 feet. And see, when we saw that one over the football field when we were kids, it was not very high up at all. It was probably only like maybe 50 feet. You know, I was a kid, I'm not really good at judging, but it wasn't super, it was just kind of over the treetops. It wasn't like way up there. You could see it clearly. That's what I'm saying. When the people say, well, it's a weather balloon, it's this, I'm like, when something is close enough to see clearly and everybody there saw it because everybody got out of there. It wasn't like it was just, is anyone else seeing this? No, just me, okay. Um, so, January 1991, a green flying disc is seen in Bridgewater moving slowly and silently at the in an altitude of about 50 feet, illuminating a large area with a powerful spotlight. Um, in late November 1997, and these are just a sampling, there's, there's hundreds of them, but these are just the main point, because if I had to tell you all the things I found out about the Bridgewater Triangle, we would just, this would be the whole rest of the podcast, we'd just, we'd come back every week and have another episode of the Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> which yeah it would just be the Bridgewater Triangle podcast um, so a law enforcement officer and see when cops see stuff because they see a lot are like the military or pilots they see a lot so when they start saying they know what's supposed to be in the sky so when they start saying well I'm an Air Force pilot and that is not supposed to be happening those are the ones that really get my attention because I don't know all the things that exist and I always assume eh, the military is playing around again and they're trying something out and the military's like give yeah, them we don't that's not us and they have higher stakes too like if they start saying like I saw this flying disc in the sky like okay are you gonna keep your job you know exactly or are we going to yeah we're gonna give you a medical and, and discharge exactly you. Yeah, so if they start so, saying things like that, I do feel like it's a little bit more believable than just, like, kids out in the woods. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and a police officer, like, he's going to get made fun of. He's not going to listen to that. He's not going to say that. And he's like, look, this is, like, for real, this is what I saw out there. Um, so he was working the night shift in Bridgewater, and he saw a large triangular UFO with three white and two red star-like lights. On December 10th, 1998... See, we're getting a little close for comfort here. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting a little modern. Mm. A witness near Route 44 in Middleborough saw a strange, brightly lit craft with numerous red, green, and white lights maneuvering all over Assawumpsit Pond in Middleborough. The object split into two, and then the two UFOs flew geometric patterns at high speed around the sky. What? displaying spectacular colored lights. Well, that was a nice little show. I mean, that was, that that's, nice. like, sweet that they were showing off, but at the same time, like... What? <laughs> and the craft then joined into one again and disappeared. Do you think this is just like, these are like teenage aliens on a joyride? I know, right? That, that, yeah. <laughs> and their parents are like, what did I tell you about taking the craft out over the humans <laughs> that we're studying? So it joined back into one and then it disappeared. Air Force planes were seen over the pond immediately following the incident, apparently searching for something. 
And in the summer of 1999, um, and this article I'm reading is kind of old, so so that it's probably like the early 2000s, so there's a lot more stuff after this, but 20-year-old George LaCasse saw a UFO in his hometown of Bridgewater. According to the local newspaper, the Sunday Enterprise, LaCasse saw a distant red light. He stated it was moving all around. It was moving in shapes. Planes don't move. So some accounts of UFOs, I don't know what to think, because especially now where people have drones, and I've seen people fly drones, and even at night, and they look kind of weird. And, and you can kind of make them fly around in shape. So I don't know, every time someone talks about a weird light or a weird thing in the distance, I don't always jump to believing in that. But the, the ones where people just see craft land uh, at an intersection, right. I mean, that's pretty freaking, uh, that's pretty clear. Right. Yeah. Doing. This is not something normal. This is not a trick of the eye. Right. Or I heard something go bump in the night and then my ana- imagination filled in the blanks. That's pretty in your face. So they they see Bigfoot has been seen just going into and out of the, fo- the forest or the swamp or creeping along the edges. In 1970, I guess a bunch of people saw a hairy seven-foot-tall monster just sometimes standing upright, sometimes it run on four legs, and footprints were found in the mud for like two days and two nights. So they... And the Bridgewater Police and Massachusetts State Police and attack dogs went out and staged a hunt for this and got the scent of something, but just followed and followed footprints, and then it just kind of, they just kind of trailed off and, and disappeared. Two policemen on April 8th, I guess this is 1970, 78, maybe, two policemen, because it's got two different years of things happening, and then the next thing says April 8th, so I'm not sure which year that happened, but two policemen sitting in their cruiser had an especially terrifying book, Bigfoot encounter. One of the men stated that without warning, something began to pick up the rear end of the cruiser. What? It just was like, no. Oh my, can you imagine? Were they, wait, were they in the cruiser? Yes, because he said he spun the car around Whoa. to get away from whatever was trying to pick it up and put a spotlight on and just saw the some the big hairy figure of like a seven foot thing running off back into the swamp. Oh my god! Can you imagine? And but it ran around the corner of somebody's house <gasps> to go back into the. Sw- so it's just a really tall hairy guy. That's that was his house. That can pick up a cruiser. No, that'd be so scary though. I don't even know how you react to that. Like I would just be like, I guess this is happening. I guess you would like do I do I put it in the report? Do I not? like your his partner was with them, so you have to. You have to agree. Either we're both telling this story or we're never telling this story. Exactly. But someone's going to have to explain why I have to bring the cruiser in to get the rear end fixed. Right. Why there's so, handprints. Why this? Yep. Someone told that when um, this young boy and his uncle were out shoot, out hunting in, in the area. I don't understand why they let people hunt where people camp and hike, but whatever. That's maybe it's different. Seems anyway, like a recipe for disaster, a little bit. It does seem like, but um, and so the uncle they saw some big animal in this big, like half. He said it was a hairy half animal, half human thing, and so of course the uncle tried to shoot it. Like you could be coming in contact with a being that we've been trying to determine if it exists and the first thing some hunter does is go shooting up the place but maybe if maybe if i had a gun and bigfoot came at me and i had my kid with me 
or my nephew, maybe I'd start shooting too because I don't. I shouldn't have been so judgmental. He might have been like, what the... what? No. Right, right. <laughs> you might just start shooting in that situation. Yeah, I perhaps instinct takes over. And also, you might be thinking, if I shoot this thing, I'm going to finally be the person who found Bigfoot. I'm going to be able to prove it. So it let off this, like, howling scream and ran off into the woods. They traced it, and they, on the way, they never found it. Because, again, what seems to happen with these Bigfoot sightings, the trail just kind of... It just peters out, weirdly. And I don't know what that's about. Like, how does it, they don't, you know, because if you shoot an animal, you should be able to follow, like, the blood and the trail. And at when they found it, there was not just blood. There was, like, some hair, brown, shaggy hair that had gotten caught on some of the branches that had some blood on it, like, from where it was running to get away. But here's my thing. Didn't. Well, I mean, it's 1978, but I would think, I would think that I would try to find some place to get that tested. Yeah, I mean, they could do blood type testing, like find out if it's human blood or... That's what I'm saying. Like, could you find out, like, if it just comes back, well, it's not a bear, it's not a wolf, it's not a human, we, it's not something we have on file. It's, it's not uh, a genome or whatever that, that we've discovered or uh, i'm not probably using that word right but but like at least know if it's a person's blood like or if it's close to human blood so so the guy the boy whose uncle shot the animal that he was hunting with a few years later was out in that same area um picnicking near a pond i would never go back to that area ever again personally no like, yeah, remember that time a ginormous animal ran at me, my uncle, my uncle had to shoot it? I would love to take you there on a picnic. Yeah, let's go back. Like, I mean, people don't people don't see Bigfoot twice. What's the harm? But there's all kinds of other stuff going on there besides Bigfoot. And they heard a loud splash, like a large object falling into the water, and they went to the water's edge. They saw all these, like, dead fish floating on the top of the water, and when they kind of looked across the pond, they saw a big, a tall, bipedal hairy creature covered with dark hair running away. And then another lady says that she, and she called the police for this. She was at home and she looked out into her yard and Bigfoot was there and he just came and he took her pumpkin. What? And he just took a huge bite out of it. And he, she said, and he looked at her right in the eye with reddish orange eyes because she was still in the house and he just went back into the woods and he took her pumpkin with him. What the fuck? That's the most bonkers Bigfoot story I've ever heard. <laughs> he was like, he must have been looking at me like, I'm Bigfoot. Are you going to tell me I can't have the pumpkin? So he's going to be like, what are you going to do about it, lady? So all of these stories are, are have been collected by someone named Joseph DeAndre. Um, and he's collected them from the police and from other citizens. And he himself was walking through those through the woods down a small hill in that area for some unknown reason, in the winter of 1978. And about 200 feet away, he saw what he thought was a Bigfoot creature, but he could only see it from behind. It was like walking ahead of him um, 200 feet away. But he said it was at least six feet tall and about 400 pounds and covered with long, dark brown hair. But he couldn't, he was behind it, so he never saw the front of it. And he weirdly, weirdly didn't try to catch up, apparently. (laughs) 
And other people have said that when they've gotten near enough to Bigfoot, he smells terrible. He smells like almost like so. So in the Bigfoot uh, sightings continue to this day. People just look out in the, the Thunderbird sightings too. People just look out their windows and sometimes see just the shadow. There's also, okay, so the big, here's the big dog story. I have so many notes. That's what I'm saying. I'm all over the place with this story because there's so much. So in 1976, a man in Abington watched as a huge ghostly dog with red eyes ripped the throats out of two of his ponies. And the dog was as big as the ponies. What the fuck? I hate that story for so many reasons. Me too. Oh, what on earth? Or hell, I don't... And they there's reports of the, um, like we talked about, the Thunderbird... There's so many at one area, they just call it Bird Hill. Jeez. <laughs> they're black and they're, they're, the wingspan is 12 feet. It's, I mean, are there any birds that have a wingspan of 12 feet? Because that's insane. I don't know. That is insane. And it's like, it, and, it, and it looks like a pterodactyl. Uh. And the bulk of sightings have been from 1971 to 1992. But they still, once in a while, people claim they see them. There's there's a lot more. I, I gotta see what time we're coming up on here. Okay, so we're we're forty five minutes in already. <laughs> I have to stop. I might have to come back and just tell individual stories because this there's so many I mean we haven't even gotten to this puckwudgie stories, there's ghost light stories, there's um, like over there, there's, there's ground at the dog track in Reno where people just see glowing balls of light just floating over, um, the, and, and like big groups of like five people see them, or they just like go between the, the trees, and these balls of light are like five feet in diameter. What the? It's not like some little tiny, like. Right. So, <laughs> so. Not a firefly. And, oh, and so something new has started happening since 2002. People have started seeing black helicopters appearing in the triangle. And when they try to find out, and they don't hear any noise, well, though they hear the noise and they don't, they don't have any, so, so they hear the noise and they have spotlights and they see them flying over, but whenever they try to, well, I don't know about this, so they try to get in touch with the military and they say, no, we don't have any helicopters in the area, but I mean, what are they going to say? Right, yeah. Of course, that's the answer. They're not always up front. If the military says, we don't have any Black Ops helicopters in your area, <laughs> I immediately assume you have Black Ops helicopters operating in my area. Now I'm more convinced about the Black Ops helicopters. Yeah. And they fly in formation. That's weird. That's not a helicopter thing. And they've been seen from Mount, yeah, Mount Hope Bay to Swansea. They generally, I guess they generally come out of the Southeast and fly in a certain pattern. And they've been seen, and they're seen in a cluster of days. They'll be seen for like two or three days, and then go away, and then for two or three days. So I mean, whether that's paranormal or not, I'm curious about what it is, you know? I feel like that is not so much paranormal as that is we're looking for the stuff that's paranormal, and we're just not going to tell anybody. Yeah, yeah, that might be it. And there's just all sorts of weird things, like just people just see these strange, like, skeletal entities... Um, with like no hair, eyebrows, lips, or no, just like all flat face. So I don't know. Is that an alien? 
Who knows? Um, there's a mysterious red-headed hitchhiker who terrorized motis, motorists on a stretch of Route 44, but he's just been kind of around for years. And people hear all sorts of weird noises coming out of there, like weird screeching noises and like pig squeals. And There's a lot more. A lot more. I'm going to put all the links so people can do their own research. It's going to take you a long time because uh, we had technical issues and I didn't so we couldn't do the episode so i was technically ready last time but then i just kept going back to it and now i just i got so much information <laughs> so i was having a hard time articulating it so much um so we can have a part two i i might if i get i'm gonna go back and look over some of those i might come back with like an update to bridgewater triangle because the um there's a podcast the spooky south coast i think it's called um and they do a lot about like New England and Massachusetts hauntings and that sort of stuff. And they do like every year, they do a Bridgewater Triangle update. They do like the, in October, an annual Bridgewater Triangle update. So, um, but there's other triangles and I wanna research other triangles where this stuff is going on. And I know for sure there's one in Vermont and I know there's others all over the world. Right. Um, and I'm just curious what's going on with that. Like, is it, is it, Part of me, the logical part, wants to say, well, yeah, it's a swamp and there's all this stuff going on and certain kinds of like limestone, other things can make you hallucinate. But I don't know if anything can make a group of people hallucinate the same thing. Yeah, group hallucinations to me, I don't know how you could possibly have that happen because the hallucinations. And I'm 99% sure that a, gr a hallucination doesn't kill your ponies. I mean... They had, like, if you and you're out there with your uncle and you're finding this long, shaggy brown hair and blood from something you just shot that's running away from you, or the police go out and found these trails of, like, Bigfoot footprints, that's not a hallucination. I mean, is it a hoax? Maybe, I suppose, but it's not a hallucination, so... So, Tori, you want to go camping in the Bridgewater Triangle with me? You're going to find this surprising, but um, no, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, of course, the idea of me camping, period, is just ludicrous yeah. anyway. It's, it's unlikely to begin with, <laughs> so. but add in this area, and it's it's a hard no for me. Well, I took up so much time. No, it was great. I, I mean, I can't believe how much stuff, you know? It seems like things just must be constantly going on. And if you live near there, do, do you get any sleep? I mean, I don't know. But actually, I just remember this. This morning, there was an earthquake down there, which, like, Massachusetts is not an earthquake zone. No. Well, we're not, but we're apparently on a huge fault, which has been dormant for a long time. And if it ever goes, um, you can just sweep, like, most of the eastern Atlantic seaboard up and just turn it into something else because... Oh! Yeah. Oh, that's horrifying information. Yeah. But yeah, that happened this morning down there, too. So I'm here to keep you up all night. So obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if the people down there were sleeping before, they certainly won't be now. Exactly. So that's the Bridgewater Triangle. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm probably going to do an update on it at some point. I have a lot of other stories I want to get to, but I'm probably going to update that or and do another triangle because I just got sucked right into that whole topic. That's just fascinating. Yeah. A part of me wants to go down there and see what's going on. Most of me is a chicken. Maybe just, maybe I, if someone could just set up a webcam in there and I could just sit safely in my home and watch the feed. Maybe, maybe. Still scary. That's still pretty scary. But 
Okay, so what did you think of the Bridgewater Triangle? I hated it. Nice. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been there. Nothing creepy's happened to me, but uh, if you think I'm going back, <laughs> but you're did, did you know all this stuff when you were there? No, 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 definitely not. Yeah. So now you know. Ooh, that's creepy. No more profile rock for you. Or anybody, I'm pretty sure, but <laughs> definitely not for me. Yeah, and and the Mary Lou Arruda story is very, very sad. I, I am going to put the link that's, to that just so you can see, but that, that I mean, that's not a, something paranormal, but it just kind of... That's just, yeah, it just sad kinda addendum. plays into the whole just creepiness and almost like, that's what I'm saying, like, it, it's, it's almost just like the cursed nature of the land. Anywho, Tori, what do you have for me today? Well, today, I'm bringing you the story of a killer clown. And no, this is not John Wayne Gacy. I know everybody's going to think when you hear killer clown, but this is a different story. I hate clowns anyway. Like, I'm terrified of clowns, period. Like, even just regular clowns. Yeah. So, I don't need killer clowns. Did he kill as the clown? Yes. Ah, because I think John Wayne Gacy just was a clown and also a killer. Yeah, he just happened to also be a horrible, horrible serial killer, and his side gig was being being a clown. clown. No. This person dressed up like a clown to do the murder. Oh, God. Yep. No. Mm-hmm. We we need a special punishment for someone like that. There's got to be an extra... little special thing we can do to spice it up because that's just that's wrong on so many levels but it really is it really is yeah all right go for it let me have it let me have it. okay so i heard about the story for the first time on an episode of 2020 from i think two years ago um or maybe three years ago anyway so the story takes place in wellington florida in 1990 and wellington is in palm beach county which is super wealthy area um, it's where Mar-a-Lago is. Uh, Bruce, Spinks- Bruce Springsteen has a house there, and Bill Gates has a house there. Um, so, in 1990, Marlene Warren was 40 years old. She and her husband, Michael Warren, owned a house in the Arrow Club neighborhood um, on the aptly named Takeoff Place. And the reason it was called the Arrow Club neighborhood is because the whole neighborhood was built around an airstrip, and most of the homes had hangers for airplanes or helicopters or whatever on the back of their properties so you could just like drive your airplane out to your airstrip in your neighborhood and just fly to wherever you need to go it's good to be the king i mean seriously can you imagine you're like "Mm, this is my commute they interviewed one guy in the on 2020 who's like yeah i go to i go to work two or three days at the office it's 50 miles away so i take my helicopter like oh my goodness i mean i'm unbearably smug because i paid off my five-year-old toyota corolla so no i I feel that i really do (laughs) yeah oh my goodness so on may 26th in 1990 marlene was home um and so was her 22 year old son joe who had some friends over there's a knock at the door and marlene answered it and found a clown there who was handing her red and white carnations and two balloons one of which said you're the greatest Joe said he heard his mother say, how nice. So Marlene accepts the gifts, and then the clown pulls out a gun and shoots her point blank in the face. I I straight up honestly wouldn't answer my door if I saw a clown because we have our whole camera system. 
And if I see, I, I don't answer it for deliveries anyway. We talked about the whole FedEx guy on a uh, past episode. I mean, I'm not blaming the victim here. I'm not blaming the victim. No, no. This is just a commentary on I'm just a paranoid, terrified. Same. Same. No, I would literally, if when I lived at home with my parents, if somebody knocked on the door, I would just pretend like I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Even if they could see me through the window. Like, I, yeah. no. No, thank you. So, Marlene's son hears the shot. Um, and at the time, he was in a cast, and he tried to run after the shooter, um, but he couldn't. He But he saw that they jumped into a white Chrysler LeBaron convertible that had no license plate, and then they drove off. Um, and all he could tell, say about the clown was that they had brown eyes. And Marlene managed to hold on to life for two days, but then she did pass away. <sighs> so, of course, police begin investigating immediately. And they start with one of the most disturbing leads, which is, of course, the fact that the, the attacker was wearing a clown costume. Mm-hmm. So, at the time, Wellington didn't have that many costume shops, so they decide to go check those out. And, of course, they immediately find a lead, which is that two days before the attack, at about 6 p.m. on May 24th, a woman with long brown hair purchased a clown costume, makeup, an orange wig, and a red clown nose from a store on South Dixie Highway. And the two women that were working that day... If you were going to do something like that, wouldn't you drive, like, a couple hours out and get... Because that's pretty... That's a pretty like stick in your mind kind of clue i mean i guess if you were smart you wouldn't go around murdering and i'm not trying to give anyone clues on how to serial murder as a clown but i'm just thinking i would make some effort to get away with it right i mean and this person it's it's may you know this isn't really hot costume time either yeah but i mean you could just say well i'm you know, I do kids' birthday parties, yada, yada. You could come up with an excuse. But I think I would just not do it that close. Yeah. Because they're probably going to check local places, but they're probably not going to think. Nowadays, you would just have it sent to you by, by Amazon. Right. But, and we're all tracked by them anyway, so. Well, right. I mean, Amazon would be like, boom, here. Here's the information. Yeah, exactly. So... So the two women that were working that day, they say they remembered her specifically because she knocked on the door after closing time and they said, oh, can you come back tomorrow? And she said no, that she really needed to have the costume that night. Um, And they let her in and helped her to find the costume that she was looking for. And apparently she was really specific about what she wanted, including that she needed extra face whitener to ensure complete facial coverage and said that a woman was going to be wearing the costume. She's not even trying to get away with this at this point. No. She's like, I really need a great costume so no one can catch me for the murder. I mean, birthday party. I want to go through the trouble of concealing my identity, but leave as many clues as possible as to who I am and make sure I stick in everyone's mind that I come across. Oh, yeah. Seriously. So, of course, then they have a few more leads, which bring them to uh, the Publix nearby, the grocery store. And it's the only one in Palm Beach County that sold one, specifically one of the balloons that had been given to Marlene right before she had been attacked. Um, And the people that worked at the public said that a brown-haired woman wearing gloves bought red and white carnations and two balloons matching the ones at the scene just 90 minutes before Marlene had been shot. She's a terrible serial murderer. This is just a one-off murder. There's no serial here. But still, yeah. But it's it's still not good. Not the brightest. Um, 
So then four days after the murder, the police recovered the white LeBaron abandoned in a shopping center parking lot. The car was clean of fingerprints, but they did find several orange fibers, which they say visually matched the orange clown wig that had been purchased just a few days before the murder and several brown hairs. And in the trunk, they found a paper Publix bag. So who are the suspects? So who do, who actually killed Marlene Warren dressed as a clown at 11 o'clock in the morning in her super, you know, fancy neighborhood, having just delivered gifts to her? Someone who didn't make a kill kit? Clearly someone who did not make a kill kit. Unless your kill kit has carnations in it for whatever reason. So... Obviously, police begin looking into Marlene's husband, Michael, because, you know, it's always the husband who did it. That was my first thought, that he hired someone to do it. Right, exactly. I mean, that's how this usually goes. And that tells you everything you need to know about marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Or men, or murder. (laughs) Or just relationships in general. They always look at the person, the husband or wife is always the first suspect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, so Marlene and Michael got married in 1972, uh, and it seems like they built up their family business together. They owned a used car lot and rental agency called Bargain Motors, which apparently was known to be the kind of place where you went if you didn't have good credit, but you really just needed a car or something to get you to work. Um, And they also owned rental properties, which Marlene mostly managed. So they lived in this uh, this Aero Club community and other members in the community said that, you know, this was a community where all of the neighbors knew each other and everybody was really friendly. Um, But Michael wasn't really part of that community and several of the neighbors described him as being rough around the edges, which, you know, if you have a personal helicopter, I don't know what your definition of rough around the edges is. I you know, that could be skewed a little bit. I know what they mean, though, that he had the money, but he may be. He wasn't born to it, you know, and sort of, I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, and apparently Michael and Marlene's marriage was also deteriorating at this point, but together they'd accumulated over a million dollars in property and business assets. And a lot of them were in Marlene's name, which would have made a divorce really complicated for the two of them. Um, and there was also a life insurance policy on Marlene. And in total, Michael stood to gain a seven figure payout from Marlene's death. Yeah, so we're looking and, at him right away, immediately. Yeah, very seriously. Apparently, Marlene's son, Joe, also remembered that two weeks before she died, Marlene told Joe that they were going to be moving without Michael. And court documents from 1991 to so the next year reveal that at some point, Michael had asked his lawyer, whose name was Chris DeSantis, a hypothetical question. What would happen to the property in the event of his wife's unexpected passing? If my wife was... I don't know, unexpectedly killed by a clown. Clown? I don't, just a thought. This is hypothetical question. So of course the lawyer confirmed that according to Florida property law, Michael would inherit all of her assets as long as he wasn't convicted, which is just the most bizarre sentence. (laughs) Because as long as you don't get caught and convicted, because I know why you're asking, okay? Because I'm a lawyer. So... Apparently, Marlene even told her parents that if anything happened to her, Michael did it, as he had got started to get physical with her in the year before her death. Nobody's even trying to get away with anything. Th- no, they're terrible. No. They're just the Not worst. even good criminals. No. No. So, an employee of Bargain Motors said that Michael wished he could get rid of the bitch and wished that he had never married her, and that is a direct quote. 
According to the same employee, Michael would also often end phone conversations with his wife by saying, I'm gonna end the bitch. So, very pleasant fellow, obviously, and very good at hiding crimes. He also was pretty openly having an affair at the time with a woman whose name was Sheila Keen. She's 27 years old, she was a car repossessor, and she would often repossess cars for him because, like I said, this was, you know, not the nicest car dealership. She had long brown hair and had previously dressed up as a clown at an auto parts store to entertain her infant son and the children of the store's owners. So if she had dressed up as a clown previously, why did she need a new clown suit? I don't know. I mean, maybe she didn't want anybody to recognize her in her old clown suit, you know? <laughs> like, hey, I recognize that clown. Maybe the wife had been at the party. But So I'm still committed to the clown idea. I just have to have a different suit. <laughs> Gotta get a different clown outfit. It's truly bonkers. This is not, You guys are the worst. Just, I, I mean, just for how dumb you are, you you need to go to stupid jail, first of all. Oh, oh yeah. Well, the rest of the story is going to make you mad, so. Okay. Apparently, Michael and Sheila started to see each other early in 1990. Uh, they reportedly took long lunches together frequently. Uh, Michael also paid the rent at Sheila's apartment, and her neighbors thought that the couple were married because he spent so much time there, and he was there at all hours of the day or night. But apparently, Michael started to think that Sheila was getting too close, and about two weeks before Marlene's death, Michael and Sheila stopped having those long lunches and both denied any romantic relationship to each other to the police. So when the police showed a photo of Sheila Keen to the costume shop clerks and to the grocery store worker, they loosely identified her as the woman who'd purchased the items in the days leading up to the murder. And she apparently also lived very close to the Publix where the flowers and balloons had been bought. And apparently this was part of the one of the articles I was reading. Um, said that many people believe that Sheila was too sweet to have been able to commit a murder. But I just want to add in that at the time, even though she was in this relationship with Michael Warren, she was still married to Richard Keene, who is a former director of the United Clan of America, who's almost 20 years older than her, and they had a son together. And even he said he believed that his wife... So not that sweet. Yeah, so probably not that sweet. So he even he said, the this Klansman said that he believed that his wife and Michael Warren were romantically involved. Weren't or were? Were. Were, okay, yeah. Yeah. However, all of that evidence was considered circumstantial. Purchasing a costume or gifts from a grocery store isn't illegal. And because of the costume, no one could definitively identify Sheila as the person who had committed the murder. The sheriff's department felt they did not have enough evidence to arrest and charge Sheila, and the case went cold. But t couldn't they get forensics from the, um, from, like, the bullet? I don't think they ever found the gun. Hmm. So, a few years after Marlene's death, Michael was arrested, but not for murder. He was discovered to have been rolling back odometers on the cars he was, se he was selling, and spent less than four years in prison, and rele was released on New Year's Eve in 1997. Because, you know what, that's how it goes. So crappy people are crappy. They're not usually just crappy in one way. They're just kind of yeah. generally crappy. So yeah. if you don't get yep. them on this thing, you're probably going to get them on some other thing. Maybe something else, right. So now we're going to flash forward a little bit to the year 2004 in Abingdon, Virginia. So a friendly couple purchased a piece of property on a lake and built a 400 or a 4,100 square foot home. 
Uh, the two worked together. They ran a restaurant called the Purple Cow, which was a fast food restaurant that was right across the border in Tennessee. And the neighbors knew the couple as Mike and Debbie. They got married in 2002 at the Little White Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas. And until 2017, the couple lived in peace and had just retired in 2016. And a newspaper in Florida decided to run a 27th anniversary story on the unsolved murder of Marlene Warren and discovered that Mike and Debbie in Abingdon, Virginia, were really Michael Warren and Sheila Keene. And by this point, obviously, DNA technology has improved so much that they were able to do some more sophisticated testing. And although they haven't said what exactly it was that they tested, apparently they did test something in 2014 and combined that with the information about where Michael and Sheila were, they finally were able to make an arrest. So Abington and Wellington police coordinated to arrest Sheila Keene Warren while the couple was out driving. Michael Warren was allowed to leave and as of yet has still not been charged with anything. Wow. But prosecutors are seeking the death penalty against Sheila Keene Warren for the death of Marlene Warren, potentially even just to get her to confess whether or not Michael Warren was actually involved or to try to get her to confess on her own behalf, um, though the trial has been put put off due to COVID-19. And is while she in jail or trial, no? Oh, sorry. She is. Yeah. So she's still in jail. She still has not had her trial yet. Good. And while in jail, she's maintained her innocence. And in 2019, in 2018, she was baptized while in jail. Yeah. They always yep. find Jesus in jail. They really do. Yeah. You, you can't and find him at any of the churches scattered all over the country. You always manage to find him in jail. Just when you're about to get popped for murder. Yep. Yep. Sure is interesting how that works out. So Michael, through all this, has continued to say that Sheila was not involved in his wife's killing which don't believe at all. It um, was some other clown that looks just like my wife. Right, exactly. And the fact that they got married after, you know? Like, come on. And this is just one last weird little fact. Um, obviously, Marlene's family is glad that Sheila was finally arrested in the case, but Marlene's mom, who was interviewed in the 2020 episode, always loved clowns. And in that episode... She even had a circus room with figurines and paintings of clowns, including one that Marlene had painted when she was in her teens, Ugh. which is just such a weird coincidence. And the woman in, in 2020 was like, oh, did you start this before or after? Which is like, you think she started a room full of clowns after, after her daughter was killed by a clown? Killed her daughter? Yeah. <laughs> no. No. So... Marlene's mom, after hearing about Sheila's arrest, said she got away with it for so long. If there's a hell, I hope she rots in it. Yep. And that's the story of the killer clown. I hope she does, too. Me, too. And just this, Marlene's mom was just such a sweet kind of old woman. And she was just like, if there's a hell, I hope she rots in it. And that warmed my soul a little bit. <laughs> oh, so I just want to say, like I said, I got a lot of that information from an episode of 2020, um, as well as two articles from the Palm Beach Post, one which was from 1990, right after the murder had initially happened, and another one from this year, as well as a Ranker article and another article from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Oh, and yeah, I always forget to put all my little details up there, but I got um, my information from, I had a whole bunch of sites. Um, I went to Enterprise News, the Patriot Ledger.com, Civil War Ghost.com, 
um, the Bridgewater Triangle, jeffbelanger.com, Bridgewater Triangle, sellerwalls.com, UFO, um, Bridgewater Triangle. Um, I have the links to the, a few other sites. Is that Jeff Belanger has a site where there's some, he has some videos. Um, I have the link to the justia.com case of Mary Lou Arruda and the information on puck wedgies came from nativelanguages.org puck wedgie spookysouthcoast.com puck wedgies myth or monster um, the information on king philip and king philip's war came from history.com um, topics native american history king philip's war um, I got some of the information, just ba basic information off Bridgewater from Wikipedia on the landmarks and the types of phenomena um, at the in the Bridgewater Triangle, mm -hmm. and also um, South Coast Today has an article. What is the Bridgewater Triangle anyway? Um, and 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 let me see if that's all of them. There's Oh, one last thing. There's an underground bunker they found that was used by some couple fled prosecution from lusting their adopted children and apparently lived in an underground bunker there for years and they just found that. That's another little weird tidbit. What the fuck? Uh, yeah. So the whole thing. And the there's a link to the documentary on Amazon Prime. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, and there. we'll put all that up on our website. And if you want, we should put up um, at least a photo of, like, the map area of the Bridgewater Triangle. I, I did sure. find a map area and some an image of what a Puckwidgee looks like. It's kind of hard to get images of the rest of it, but a couple of the right. things we can put images up. And um, so thank you for your story, Tori. I kind of hated it because um, I, I hate when people don't get their comeuppance. I know, I, like the fact that she went for twenty-seven years, just got to live her life. You know, it's especially since and everybody they got knew. the money. They got the insurance money, and they got everything. They probably screwed this kid out of it too. Yep, and it messed up the whole clown industry because then nobody wanted to hire clowns. Oh, well, I, I don't think you should hire clowns anyway. But I'm sorry to right. all if we have any clowns. But the poor clowns. Listening. That's not, that's I'm not sorry. their fault, you know? Remember that clown thing that was going on around here? What was no. like all over the place Ugh. a few years ago? I hated that so much. And I was driving somewhere and I came around a corner and someone was just standing there dressed as a clown. No, like, why do people do things like this? Why? What possesses you to be like, you know what will totally be a regular thing to do is to dress up as a clown and come out of the woods. Some guy decided no. to prank his eight-year-old daughter getting off the bus and he jumped out dressed as a clown during this period and scared her and her two little friends. And they went running towards one of the friends' house and he went running after them as a clown. And one of the dads came out with like, I don't know, like a shovel or a baseball bat and just started beating the crap out of him. Until oh he was like, God. oh, realized it was his neighbor just pranking his own kid. You know what? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Absolutely. That's just, seems like you probably shouldn't have done that. Don't chase after children, you know? Yeah. Just as anything. Exactly. Well, Tori, I think we have to end this episode because it's been super fun, but we're going really long today. Yeah, it's I gonna think take you're Courtney right. like but thanks 10 days to everybody to to, for listening. Don't this forget fun. 
Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac. We're also on Facebook at the Cul-de-Sac Insomniac and culdesacinsomniac.com. If you have any kind of stories you want us to research, you want us to talk about, or stories of your own you want us to read on the air, let us know at culdesacinsomniac at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Yes, definitely. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Ophelia. I loved your story, and I hated it. (laughs) I'm doing my job. Thank you very much, Tori. And thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.